Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's the 29th of June. This is the show that gets you across the big headlines of the day. And then in the second half, we brief you in depth on an important issue. And today it's China. Are we the chewing gum on the bottom of their shoe? Is Australia being singled out for punishment relative to other Western countries? We'll get to that in just a moment. First, Anikis Methus is here with the big news stories of the day. First, the Defence Force is in Melbourne to help with the desperate testing blitz after 49 new corona cases yesterday. Certainly numbers today are, are big um, and they've, they've increased day on day. Victoria's Chief Health Officer Brett Sutton there. It's not only the biggest spike since April, none of the 49 cases were returned travellers, which means they were all picked up by Aussies on Aussie soil. If we have to further limit movement in some of those suburbs, so for instance a stay-at-home order, much like we all as a community had to endure, if that is deemed the appropriate public health response, then that is what we will do. That was the Premier Daniel Andrews in Victoria. He also announced mandatory testing for travellers in hotel quarantine, just like New South Wales, um, which is an interesting point because in the last few days, we all found out that only 70% Annika, of people in Victorian quarantine were getting tested by the time they got out. Did that surprise you? It certainly did. I don't know who these people are that are refusing testing. If you're being put up in a hotel um, for public health, you should just get tested. Well, yeah, in New South Wales, apparently 98% of people were tested by the time they got out because they had to face an extra 10 days in quarantine if they didn't get tested, and that wasn't happening in Victoria. So kind of strange to hear that there was quite a different approach in the two states. Yeah, absolutely. But Tom, is this the second wave we've all been dreading? I'm not so sure whether it's a spike or a wave and it seems like the Mm. health officials aren't either. This is not a second wave. This is an outbreak uh, occurring and the response which is occurring is very vigorous and appropriate. So there you go, Professor Michael Kitt there, Annika. It's a outbreak, not a second wave. He's the (laughs) Federal Deputy Chief Medical Officer. I don't know. I was also kind of happy that it might be a wave, thinking that this is the second wave and we can all move on. If this is just what life's going to look like, it's going to be a pretty tough time for the next few months. Yeah. um, So apparently testing is mandatory from today in New South Wales and now Victoria as well. The situation is pretty concerning, though, particularly the fact that all of those cases were community transmissions in Victoria. When you think about the first wave, it was quite easy to slow down in the sense that so many of the cases were coming in from overseas. But now to know that there's a significant number being transmitted in the community, it's quite concerning. And I imagine maybe putting a bit of a break on your plans to go and visit your family. Yeah, I'm a Victorian and I was so eager to get down there. I haven't been down there since March, uh, but this is definitely putting the brakes on it. As you say, there's a lot of community transmission and a lot of people that don't seem to know they've got it, which is the big problem. So I think I'll be staying put in Canberra for now. And a rare move from Donald Trump, who's actually deleted one of his controversial tweets. Uh, what did this one say? We'll have a listen to this. Yeah, so Trump supporters there chanting white power. The video showed seniors at a Florida aged care home protesting for and against Trump and swearing at each other. The president thanked those supporters in his retweet before taking the post down around three hours later. And something that might have played a part in that unusual move by Trump is the comments from the only black Republican senator. Now, that's Tim Scott, who was asked about the tweet on CNN. Well, there's there's no question he should not have retweeted it and he should just take it down. 
Does it offend you, though? I mean, it offends me, and I'm white. Well, listen, I mean, if you, if you watch the entire video, you, you can't play it because it was so profanity-laced. The entire thing was offensive. Certainly the comment about the white power was offensive. Well, Trump's posted many things that are offensive to many people. It'll be interesting to see that he actually took this one down. Um, he's also under pressure from the Rolling Stones, who threatened legal action for Donald Trump using their songs at his rallies again. And this comes after they asked him not to use their songs in 2016 as well, Annika. Yeah, he doesn't seem to care too much. Look, a great tune there. He's not, they're not the first artists to get pretty upset about him trying to use their songs. Um, other ones have taken legal action in the past. So it'll be interesting to see what the Stones do with this one. And while the US president continues to divide opinion, it seems like our prime minister is more popular than ever. Is Australia. Scott Morrison there when he won the election last year. Um, he scored his highest ever net approval rating in today's news poll. 68% of Aussies are happy with how he's doing and only 27% are unhappy. Can you put that in context for us, Annika? Yeah, look, we see news poll come out every few weeks and people look at different things. Popularity, uh, it does matter of individual leaders, but you will notice that Elbow's popularity isn't that low at the moment either. So the thing that most pundits in Canberra look at is primary vote, and it has gone up for the government. It's unlikely that a coalition would win with a primary vote below 40. Uh, currently, it's sitting at about 42 for the coalition, so that's a really good position for them to be in. We will actually get a test this weekend mm. coming though there's a by-election after the retirement of a Labor MP so for the first time we're going to see how people in at least one electorate are feeling about the government. And do you think those polling figures give any indication of how the weekend will go or are there a whole different set of circumstances that will impact this by-election? There are so many circumstances. Look, you cannot ignore Scott Morrison's popularity at the moment. People are getting behind the government and their response. So that will certainly come into play. But the seat up for grabs is one of those hardest hit by the bushfires. And we know that Scott Morrison was not popular down there over summer. So that, of course, might counteract that. Then, of course, you've got history. And Labor are definitely in front in that situation because it has been a 100 years since the coalition have picked up a seat off Labor at a by-election. So, look, it is too tight to call, but I would probably be slightly leaning towards Labor at this stage. Well, Annika, we'll be able to test your call there in just six days, <laughs> which I look forward to doing. We'll catch you tomorrow on the podcast. In a moment, Jan Fran will join us as we go deep on our relationship with China. Let's say China. 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 Right now in the briefing, we're talking about... China. 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 Stop it. Stop it. We did not have to hear that word said that many times by that man. Hello, Jan. Good morning, everyone. Yes, we are talking about China. Namely, Australia's relationship with China, which... Look, it's tense. China is weaponising trade. Beijing's beef directed at Queensland beef. China suspending imports from three of our abattoirs. Tensions with China have escalated with Beijing warning its citizens not to travel to Australia. There's potential for a trade war to erupt and to damage Queensland's exports. Yeah, so those tensions, Jan, have been particularly bad since Australia led the charge on the global inquiry into the origins of the coronavirus. And Earlier this year, another low point, I think when you and I really took notice on this issue was when the editor of the Global Times wrote a piece saying that Australia was like chewing gum stuck on the soles of China's shoes. Ouch. I do remember hearing that thinking, ooh, things have gotten pretty bad. It was a bit of a sick burn. 
But it does go the other way as well. Australians are worried about China, and this is coming from a poll that was conducted last week. The poll was from the Lowy Institute, and it showed that Australia's faith in China has never been lower. So only 23% of Australians trust China to act responsibly. Now, the thing to note about that is that it has dropped 30% in two years. So a massive difference. Now, that is what Australians think of China. But I guess the question is, what do the Chinese people think of Australia? Is there a reciprocal relationship there? Um, Will Glasgow is the Australian's China correspondent. He has been in the country for the last five months. Not there now, though. Where exactly are you right now? And what are you doing? Well, right now I'm at the second last day of quarantine in Sydney. I'm in the Sydney branch of the Hotel Quarantine. And I've just come back from Beijing. So you've been right in the thick of it reporting in China and you've actually gotten into trouble for asking too many questions at press conferences. Have you been feeling this big attention firsthand? Uh, Look, I've definitely felt it from my interactions with the Chinese government in Beijing. So at the foreign ministry in Beijing has a press conference every day, Monday to Friday. And what's happened there is that Australia's just come up at that press conference way more than I thought it would and way more than it has before. And that all really got going when the Australian federal government started calling for an inquiry into the origins of this coronavirus. What do you mean by that? Come up in what way? At this press conference, you know, there might be 10, 12 questions at at one of those things and people will ask about something that happened in Australia not as much as America. Every day the thing's dominated by what happened in America, but, but Australia will be on the agenda. For a while there, Australia was sort of the number two subject after America. Wow, so more and, than any other European country? Well, for, for a bit there. And the, the origins of the coronavirus is a really sensitive thing in China. And as the coronavirus spread more around the world, then the conversation there changed. And now the official policy is it's a matter of science where it came from. And there's an intense sensitivity about where did it come from. If you say or if a government says it came from China, there will be a strong pushback from the official spokespeople in Beijing who will say it's a matter for science and you shouldn't politicise it by saying where it came from. Right. You mentioned earlier that Australia was sort of brought up in press conferences and, you know, um, in kind of public discourse or government discourse. Is it brought up among ordinary Chinese people? Do you have a sense of what the man and or woman on the street would think of Australia. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, it's a huge country, right? When I arrived at the start of January, a lot of people knew about the bushfires then, actually. And there was a lot of concern in China, actually, about burnt koalas and kangaroos in the bushfires. So there's a, there is actually a bit, like Australia, as much as it features on the Chinese mental map, it's, it's really well thought of. It's a country that's clean, that's got cute animals that Chinese people like. And it's also a country that's got 1.3 million Australian Chinese people, right? Mm. So mm. especially amongst urban in China and amongst the urban middle class and upper middle class of China, those are the groups that come and study in Australia and that visit Australia that have made, you know, Australia's biggest tourism market is from China now. As this political friction was going on, you'd ask people, what do they think about Australia? People might have registered that their government is unhappy with Australia for something. But the thing you need to understand from China is their government, especially this year, are unhappy with so many different people. Often people won't even know what the reason is. Like They'll find it hard to remember that the reason the government's upset is because of the inquiry into the coronavirus. What they remember is, oh, right now our government's angry with Australia. And they'll, they'll often say something like, 
uh, it's about being too close to America or something like that. So what you're saying, Will, is that the average Chinese person or the few that you've spoken to doesn't see us as the chewing gum on the bottom of a shoe. I just found this amazing disconnect between the the uh, the government's position and they'll say the Australian government's hurt the feelings of the Chinese people and the Australian government needs to fix this because otherwise the Chinese people won't want to come to Australia and they won't want to study in Australia. I've heard one person actually when I've said I was from Australia bring up any kind of negative thing and that was actually they were asking is it true that there's been racial attacks? Well one out of 1.4 billion it's not bad we'll we'll take it. That's Will Glasgow calling bullshit on the Chinese government. (laughs) (laughs) Well you know it's uh, our government doesn't have a monopoly on bullshit right? You're right there Will. Well thanks for that thanks for giving us a bit of a picture of what it's like on the ground it doesn't seem to be as uh, bad perhaps as what the government makes it out to be. And good luck getting out of quarantine. Thanks very much. That was Will Glasgow, um, the Australian reporter, who's the Chinese correspondent, heading back there soon. Yeah, good to know that the Chinese people, at least the ones that Will has spoken to, don't think too badly of Australia. Yeah, it doesn't match up to the Chinese government rhetoric. Yeah, but it is really what the Chinese government think of Australia that matters because they are the ones that will determine our relationship moving forward, particularly economically. Now, our reliance on China is huge. One third of our exports go to China, so 30%, the main thing being minerals. It brings in $120 billion a year. Yeah, there's a lot at stake. There is a lot at stake. 10% of all our university students come from China, and it is also our largest source of tourists as well. So it's across several industries. So I guess the question is, if we do put China offside or if our relationship deteriorates, How much consequence economically will that be to Australia? Clive Hamilton is watching this relationship very closely. He's an academic, a China expert. He's written a book called Hidden Hand, exposing how the Chinese Communist Party is reshaping the world. That came out last week. He wrote another book called Silent Invasion. Clive, thanks for joining us. Tell us about the last time our relationship with China was in a good place and when it started taking a turn for the worst. I think things started to go downhill when on the fringes of Australian society, people started to wake up and that was in really 2016. And it was a result of the brilliant work of certain members of the fourth estate, uh, that is journalists, um, probably only three or four or five of them, some in Beijing uh, working for both the Fairfax Papers and, uh, and News Limited and an ABC journalist or two who started to send back stories that were talking about the uh, Chinese Communist Party influence operations in Australia. And, of course, the the big headline one was the uh, Sam Dastiari and Huang Zhangmo, and that really built from there. And, you know, bottom line is that the Chinese Communist Party does not like the, um, uh, the spotlight trained on it. Um, Will Glasgow, who is the Australian's China correspondent, he told us that Australia was coming up in press conferences quite a bit. Do you think we're being singled out more than other Western countries in this time? Definitely. It's been quite extraordinary the last couple of months. Um, When uh, our Foreign Minister, Maurice Payne, called for an international inquiry into the origin of uh, COVID-19 and its implications... Beijing was a bit mysteriously, we all thought, just so enraged and offended by that. And uh, it took a while for kind of China watchers like me uh, to cotton on. Well, maybe there are plenty who saw it before I did. But what uh, Beijing had been very carefully doing since the beginning of February was 
rewriting the narrative about COVID and mm-hmm. uh, and the glorious success of the Chinese Communist Party under the leadership of Xi Jinping in conquering the virus and, and the saving the rest of the world from this um, terrible disease. And this was really a, an attempt to cover over uh, the attempts by the party to shut down uh, doctors and scientists in China who were uh, reve- revealing some very kind of damaging information. And so when Maurice Payne came along and said, well, actually, we think we need an independent international inquiry, Beijing saw that as a big threat as to its attempt to shape a, a different kind of global narrative. And even though Beijing had to capitulate in the end and agree at the World Health Assembly too, an international inquiry. Ever since, it's been punishing Australia for our insubordination mm. in that, mm. on that question. Clive, we rely on China uh, economically quite significantly. I mean, Sacrifice. 30% of our exports go to China. That's huge. So I imagine that would be worth something very significant. Can we afford to risk that? Well, we each have to make our own judgment. I would say yes. I think our democratic values, our national independence, um, our, the human rights as they're exercised within Australia, like free speech, are enormously valuable. I mean, you know, isn't that what the diggers went overseas and fought and died for? I mean, I mean, really, it's the CCP is undermining democracy in Australia and uh, and having a big influence on. Uh, the uh, on freedom of speech on campuses. I mean, uh, it tried to suppress the publication of my book, Silent Invasion, exposing its activities here. And so, you know, it really is a big problem for us. And that's why it's most interesting to see the Morrison government, you know, a government that I'm not kind of generally politically sympathetic towards, but nevertheless, I think it's uh, behaved very well in saying to Beijing in the face of this extraordinary campaign of hysteria and bullying and practical actions like, you know, uh, on barley and beef and tourism and so on, and saying, look, you know, our values are at stake and calmly uh, and quietly and but firmly saying, and we're not going to be bullied into allowing a foreign country, particularly an authoritarian one, to influence our policy process and our democratic freedoms. So, Clive, if, if China is running the world by 2050... Why is that such a bad thing? And is it worse than what it's been like with the US running the world basically since the Second World War? Because a lot of people would say they don't really like what the US has done in its foreign policy. Is it a a bad scenario with China running the world because it just doesn't suit our culture? Or or do you think it's objectively a a worse thing? I mean, let me give you a very simple um, example. Mm. Two and a bit years ago, my book, Silent Invasion, I was dropped by my publisher in Australia because it said it was afraid of retaliation from Beijing. And a bunch of other publishers in Australia said this. They wouldn't go near it. Can you imagine anyone publishing a book highly critical of the US government and publishers being afraid to publish it because they expected retribution from Washington? Yeah, of course not. I mean, that's one small example of there's a – despite Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, of the massive gulf between the US uh, and China. All right, that was Clive Hamilton, who's written a book called Hidden Hand, came out last week. Jen, he essentially raised the point that we have to be prepared to work out the price we're willing to pay in dollar terms for our values. Mm, Is it $120 billion a year? Maybe not quite that much. That's it for today's briefing. Tomorrow on the show, stock market trading post-COVID. Loads of first-time investors or traders and depending on how you define it, are piling into the market trying to make money, and lots of them have been, but what should you watch out for can be a dangerous game. That's tomorrow's podcast. 
Speak to you then. A Podcast One production.